And so I'm going to pick up uh, somewhat where I left off, and yet I want to sort of remind you of where we've been. So uh, let me just say a quick welcome to all the uh, college students who are back and uh, high schoolers who had prom. We are glad you're here and made this morning a priority. And even if you didn't have prom or go away to college, we're glad you're here as well. So thank you for worshiping with us today. So Jonah chapter 1, I want to I remind you of it like this. If you think of Jonah, there's lots of ways you can think of it. Here's a narrative or progressive story. Here's a book of the Bible. But another way you can think of it as well is like a play. So if, for example, you go to Midland High or you go to Dow High and you uh, buy your ticket and you sit down and you wait, what you'll see is the screen or the curtain is totally closed and you know there's something back there and something's going to happen at the right time. The lights go down and then the curtain pulls back and the question is, what do I see? Imagine the book of Jonah beginning and working itself out like this. So you're in the audience, you're watching this scene, this play go down, and all of a sudden, so the curtains are closed, you're in Act 1, it opens up, and what do you see in Act 1? In my mind, what you would see is this. If you, if you watch the modern movies, you know, a lot of times the drama scene starts with the, the running through the woods, you know, and they don't show you who it is or tell you anything about it, but they just show you this camera shot where the branches are going really fast by the person's face and it's kind of dark and you hear, you know, and the person's dodging left and right and somebody's breathing hard and you can just feel it and you're like, what's going on? What's, who's chasing them? Where are they going? And they're looking over their shoulder left and right and all of a sudden they come to the edge of this great body of water. They climb in the boat. They dive down in the bottom. They look up to see if anything's behind them. And they go asleep. Scene one. Curtain closes. Act two. What are you going to see? Curtain pulls back. All of a sudden, this comfy person who is fleeing from who knows what is getting shaken and woken out of their sleep. And the captain's yelling at him, get up, get up, we're going to die. I'm like, I thought he was going to die in the previous scene. What's going on? Get up, wake up, wake up. And all of a sudden, you know, depending on the level of special effects, you know, if it's at a high school play, you just got some bucket of water and some kids backstage going, whoosh. They're going, oh no, big storm. Some other kids going, you know. But imagine this crazy scene. The curtain's pulled back and everybody's going, ah, we're going to die. This is number two. And Jonah's sitting there and everybody's asking, what do we do? I don't know. Throw everything overboard. The storm's coming. What do we do? What do we do? And Jonah's like, all right, throw me. I'm the reason. It's my fault. I'm in trouble. These guys are like, who are you? And what did you do? And who did you make mad? All right. Jonah goes over the side. Curtain closes. Scene three. Jonah is being propelled into the waves and then drowning to the earth, to the bottom of the mountains, to the roots. He sank down with seaweed wrapped around his head. And you see this prophet again and you think, well, whoever that was is surely going to die. But instead, all of a sudden, there's this huge fish. And uh-oh, that's going to get him. If nothing else does, the fish will, swallows him. He's in the fish, 
And now you see what's going on, not inside the fish, but inside of Jonah. As he wrestles with God and the call on his life and wondering, should I really obey or is it better to go my own way? Perhaps I can still flee from the presence of the Lord. Maybe, just maybe, I can get out from under his grasp. And then eventually he says, no, this is, this is the bad decision. This is the wrong way. Those who go after idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a heart of thanksgiving, will repent and call on the Lord. And when he does, the fish spews him out. So now, curtain closes, and we open today on scene four. Jonah's just gone through all of that stuff, and now we're asking, okay, what's going to happen? The prophet has tried to get away. He's been chased down. He almost died. The Lord saved him. He repented. God had the fish spin him back up onto the land. And now, here he is, waking up, pulling off the seaweed, rubbing the slime off his face, and looking around and saying, whew, it's nice to see the sun, but now what? Here we are, Jonah, chapter 3. So let me read it to you. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to follow along. We'll also put the words up on the screen for your benefit. If you don't have a Bible, we have blue Bibles that you can always use when you visit and take one home if you need as well. But uh, this is Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. Then the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh saying, by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And who knows? God may yet turn the relent and turn his, from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Verse 10 is probably the most important verse here of this entire chapter, but as we go through it, I want to begin by pointing out the similarity of verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. Here you'll see on the slide the very first lines of this entire drama, this entire act. Here is 
Jonah 1, 1 through 2, and this is what it says. It was the very first words you read in this book. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Okay, got that fixed in your mind? Now let's look at chapter 3 and see what it says. Chapter 3 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. What we see in comparing those two things is this. They're exactly the same except for a couple little words, and that is the second time. The first command to Jonah is exactly the same as the second command to Jonah. And what is so beautiful about this is the words the second time because in Scripture, what we see is, is that as cliche as it may sound, God is in fact the God of second chances. He specifically says to Jonah, go do this. Jonah says, no. God grabs him by the shirt collar and pulls him back and says, Jonah, go do this. <laughs> you know, I these are the exact same words. It's like, kid, go brush your teeth. Kid says, no. And then you look at him in the eyes and with the firmness of a father that communicates there are consequences if you don't, you say once again, kid, go brush your teeth. You know? <laughs> or however you want to do it. But at the end of the day, they know you mean business. And there is a real opportunity for you here, and there is also a real threat. There's the reality that I'm giving you this chance, this second chance, this opportunity to escape judgment. You can move now and save your tail. But if you don't, <laughs> it's going to cost you. And so God says clearly to Jonah, hey man, Get up and go. And I think that's an encouraging sign for us, we who fail frequently in our lives, to know that the consistent biblical pattern, Old Testament and New, is that God is a God of second chances. Think about the people of Israel in the wilderness. How many times did they completely shun and ignore and disobey his commands to the point where God's like, I'm going to obliterate them. And if Moses didn't step in, no chance, right? God was ready to destroy these people. But God is gracious. David, Elijah, Jonah, the Apostle Peter, over and over again throughout Scripture, God is constantly giving a second chance. I don't know what you've done in your life. I don't know how bad you've messed up. I don't know if it was a long time ago, yesterday, or even today. But God is a God of second chances. This is who he is, and he cannot be inconsistent with himself. His character is such that as long as you are alive there is still an opportunity. As long as you're breathing, you still have another chance. Now let me also be clear that when it comes to the afterlife, there are no second chances. When you talk about being alive, you have the opportunity to repent, but once you're no longer alive, the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment, Hebrews. Then there are no second chances. So don't fool around either thinking, okay, <laughs> good, I got all the chances I want, right? Because as long as I'm alive, well, you never know. Tonight your very life might be required of you. It happens to guys younger than me. God is a God of second chances as long as you're breathing. But once you're not, it's done. So you make sure to take care of business while you still can. This is the way God is. 
So we begin in the first verse with some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. That is the second time. As long as you're alive, there is an opportunity. No matter how many times you've blown it, there is an opportunity to get it right. God is a God of second chances, as long as you're alive. So the word of the Lord came to Nineveh, and, or came to Jonah and said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Okay, I think I have a map or a picture of that around here somewhere. Oh, wait, that's not it. Hold on, this looks like a map. I think this must be my map that I was looking for. Oh, wait, no, that's the drawing of the fourth grader in the gospel project class of his Bible study curriculum on Jonah. Nope, that's not it. Okay, I think, yes, here we are in the Middle East. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, but instead he went down to Joppa and began to flee from the presence of the Lord. And then the Lord... The Lord told him, no, 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 that's not the right way to go. Instead, I want you to go instead to Nineveh, which is a bit of a journey for the prophet. I'm trying to remember how far it was from Joppa to Nineveh. Now I think you might. Thank you for giggling. In my mind, it sounded really cool. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's going to be great. <laughs> I don't know if it'll work or not, but we tried it. Um, what does it mean, anyways, to haver? I'm going to find Alec after the service and see if he can explain it to me. 500 miles from Joppa all the way to Nineveh. And basically what that means, it's a four to five week walk. It is a long ways. In other words, God is going to, this is literal and metaphorical, God is going to great lengths to give these Ninevites a second chance. He is saying to his prophet, hey, I want you to make this huge journey to go way out of your way to come back to these horrible people and tell them my message. God has given them a wonderful opportunity. So this time Jonah obeys, and verse 4 tells us that he began to go in the city, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now as we listen to that message, automatically some questions come to our mind, because if you've read the whole story, which I hope you have, if you haven't, please read this book, it's short, um, you know the outcome, and you're like, wait, 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 that's not what happened. I don't, I don't get it. What's going on here? Is God lying, or is God mistaken, or does God change his mind, or what? Because when I read this, all I heard was 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And what that means to me is 40 days, and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. What's, what gives? That, I, I don't understand. Let me show you in another prophet um, who came after Jonah how this thing works. When it comes to woe oracles or these ancient Near Eastern prophecies that they're used to receiving, they function very much in this way. But Jeremiah explicitly explains to us, the modern reader, how they work. 
God says to the people of Israel, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up, break down, and destroy it, and if that nation about which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the harm that I intend to do it. So God has built into these prophetic oracles an automatic out, if you will. Basically what it's saying is, I promise to do this if you keep doing what you're doing. Which really isn't that shocking, right? I mean, you know God to be a just God. And if people are continually rebelling and sinning and fleeing from them, he's going to punish them. That's just the way he is. He's righteous. He's just. He's holy. He's true. He has to. But what happens if people repent and change their ways? If he punishes them at that point, then that's inconsistent with his character because then he's punishing, if you will, innocent people. So God is not in any way whatsoever ever changing from um, necessarily what he said he would do, but what he is doing is staying true to himself. God is consistent with his own character. So does God change? No. Does God lie? No. But future things that God may say, for example, 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown, he can hold with this contingency that if you continue along the path that you're going, yes, 40 days and Nineveh will will be overthrown. However, if you repent, I'm not going to punish innocent, repentant people or forgiven people. I am instead going to turn from that and bless So a way that I would say it is this. Here's kind of the theme for today, and I'll roll back around to it later, but it's this. Um, If we repent, God relents. If you repent, God relents. Repent equals relent. You relent, or you repent, God relents. So you look at this, and you see it playing out here, and what it is essentially for the people of Nineveh is it's a fork in the road. Here's a slide that shows you that image, and what I want you to see in this slide is this. There's really two paths, and they've only been given one. We have the first line. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all they know, because they don't have the prophet Jeremiah. They don't have the Old Testament scriptures. That's why God said, Jonah, go. It's a big deal that you be a missionary, because these people don't have the same Bible you do. They're listening to woe oracles in the Middle East and all this other gobbledygook. You need to get there and show them the true nature of God, how he works. If people repent, he relents, but they don't get that. All they get is this one message, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. So the king's looking at that thinking, wow, if I go down this path, I know exactly what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. This path is sure destruction. I've been told. What can I do? Well, I don't want to die, so I'll have to go some other way. Will that way even work? Well, I don't know, but I might as well try because it's better than this. This is sure destruction in 40 days. But who knows? Maybe, just maybe, if I go the other way, God will relent. The king doesn't know that for sure. He's just been given this one oracle. But truth be told, if you're, you know, you're like, go down that path, you're going to die. You're like, well, maybe I'll start looking for another path. So the king calls to the people of, it, uh, people of Nineveh, and he's saying, hey, guys, do whatever you can, but don't go that way. Everybody, who knows? In a lot of ways, now he sounds almost exactly like who? Who in the book was like, who knows? Maybe God will spare us. 
earlier in the book. Who? Yeah, the sailors, the pagan ship captain. When he wakes Jonah up from his sleep, he's like, hey, Jonah, wake up. Call out to your God. We've already tried all these other gods. They're not working. Let's try yours. And who knows? Maybe God will relent. Maybe that God will help. Now we have the king pretty much doing the exact same thing. This is deja vu, if you will, and the, not the bad one in Saginaw or whatever, but you know what I mean. This is a repeat of what happened before, and God is saying, hey, look, tell these Ninevites to stop. Don't go in that direction. And Jonah does. And what you have is this thing about 40 days, which is actually really cool. When you think about it in the Bible, now, don't show any slides yet. Can you guys name out any 40-day um, intervals that happened, Old Testament or New? Name one. What? Flood. Good. There's one. What's another one? What, something about Jesus? Yes. In the wilderness? What else? Moses on the mountain. Exactly right. Let me give you a few. You probably know more. Here's one. The flood. Moses at Mount Sinai. Um, the mission of the Hebrew spies going into the promised land. Uh, Goliath taunted Israel's armies for that long. Jesus is fasting and the period in between um, the resurrection and the ascension. After Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, he came back to earth. Or he was, yeah, he came back to earth and he was there and he was explaining to people, hey, this is what happened. They're like, oh, now I see why you said it like a dozen times before it happened, right? And then he explains it to him, and then he ascends. Forty days is a common theme throughout Scripture, and what it is, I think that the right term for it is this. One of the commentators that I use called it the tension-laden interval. The tension-laden interval. What is that? I'll tell you what it is. It's when you walk into the doctor... They say, yeah, I see something on the scan. I don't really know what it is yet. Don't want you to get too concerned. But in a little while, we're going to send you down to the U of M, and they're going to take a closer look. And they'll get back with you. So go home, have a good night's sleep, and don't worry. But who knows? Maybe you're going to die. Jonah, 40 days. Nineveh, 40 days. Who knows? It's that situation, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, there's a merger. Ha <laughs> ha, my department. Huh, what? When is this going to happen? How's this going down? You're not saying anything. I'm just waiting. Yep. The tension laid in interval. Wait. No answer. Here we are in health, relationships, jobs, marriages, families, kids, colleges. You think about this for 10 seconds of life and you realize, man, that's much of life. We don't know. What do you know? <laughs> what do you really know? I don't know. I've latched on to this phrase so, so strongly in the last few weeks as I read this, and it's just like, yeah, who knows, right? How does Jonah start? The lot is cast. But what? The outcome belongs to the Lord. We don't determine the role of the dice. God appointed 
the storm, the fish, the plant, the wind, the worm. God appoints. Who knows? Do you know the future? I don't know the future. What are we doing? Wait. So are we waiting without hope? Are we wandering? Are we fearful? Are we insecure because we don't know if this Assyrian God is going to kill us or help us? Or do we actually have hope? Is there a possibility that we just might be in a little bit better situation than the sailors and the Ninevites? I think so. I think we're in a lot better spot than them. But admittedly, we all hate the tension-laden interval. But for we who have the scriptures, look what it says to us. We who wait on Yahweh. It says, They who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the holy place where Jesus has gone behind the curtain as the forerunner on our behalf. We have hope. We have so much hope. I mean, yeah, the job and the health and the kid and the relationship and all that, I don't know. Who knows? I, I wish I could tell you. I can't. But I can tell you this. God appointed and God is good. God appointed and God is good. We tell our little kids the same thing. Hey baby, pray this. God is good. God is great. If you can get those two things, you can get through just about anything. God is in control and God is good. This came my way today. I don't like it. How do I deal with it? God is good. God is great. Yahweh, covenant-keeping, faithful, compassionate, ever-loving, forgiving God. God is good. God is great. We have this hope. What about them? What about the Ninevites? Have they heard of Yahweh? What about the sailors? What hope had they? The Tatar? The Malay? Syrian refugees? Scientists at Dow, engineers, electricians, linesmen, sportsmen, people living in Grove Park. What hope do they have? We sit here and we don't worry about the future because we have Christ, but what do they have? Nothing. Arise. Midland free, go to Nineveh and proclaim the word of the Lord. Do I need to say this a second time? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and said, Get up! There are people dying and they haven't heard anything. Get up right now and leave this service. I don't care. Get up. Go. What do they know? What hope 
have they? There are people being pressured to terminate their unplanned pregnancies, locked in the cycles of sexual abuse, poverty, and oppression. They have no hope. What hope have they? How shall they ever hear unless we go? How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone telling them? Go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go. Arise, go to Midland, that great city, and call out against her. Midland's a great place, right? We do everything well. I mean, it's awesome. This summer, we're looking at all the camp options for our kids. It's insane. I mean, they they got a camp for everything you can imagine. Here comes the wind and the rain. (laughs) Guys, better get ready. (laughs) Okay? I'm telling you, those special effects are beyond my control. I got the 500-mile things, not that. All right? Here we go. Thank you, Lord. Good point. Oh, boy. So can the Ninevites really be saved? I mean, can it happen? These guys are bad. I don't know if you remember this, but here's a few slides we showed earlier. You know, the kings portray themselves as the mighty warriors, right? You just sang about God, the mighty warrior. Who is the mighty hunter? Who is victorious in battle? Well, Ashurbanipal would say, it's me. Sennacherib would say, look at all the people I impaled outside the cities of Lachish and the way I caged in um, Hezekiah and his crew like a bird in the cage. Remember, I am the all-powerful, all-conquering hero. I am like the divine god Asharda, and I am powerful. I am, I'm a hero. I'm gigantic. I'm colossal. Do you remember this? These are the Assyrians we're talking about, people who flayed people alive, raped the women and children, and destroyed the cities. Can God forgive them? Is that possible? Well, honestly, you know, it's easy for me thousands and thousands of years ago to go, oh, yeah, Syrians, no problem. But what about ISIS? You know, what about Twin Tower types? Can God forgive them? Surely not. I find myself in the exact same boat. Oh, yeah, that just came. I'm writing it down for the second service. Boat. As the disciples... When they hear about the camel and the eye of the needle, and they're telling Jesus, hey, you know what? I don't get it. Jesus says to him, it's easier for a rich, <laughs> you know, the rich man to go through the eye of the needle, and the guys are just scratching their heads saying, well, how can that happen? No one goes through the eye of a needle, especially a camel with two great big humps. And when the disciples heard this, they were astonished. I think when the Israelites heard about the Ninevites, they were astonished. I think when Jonah heard about the Ninevites, he was astonished. And if people of Midland Free hear about the... Maybe they're astonished. Do you really believe in the God you serve? Would he really forgive somebody like that? Can he go that far? I mean, it's okay for me. 
But the Ninevites, the Assyrians, the Iraqis, the refugees, the Syrians, the people of whatever neighborhood, the girl who did what? No way. Come on. God is not, no. No. I'm wearing a jacket, right? My wife picked it out. God can't forgive them. Surely not. Jesus says, with man it is impossible. You guys are right. You couldn't forgive somebody who did that. You don't even have a hope. But with God, all things are possible. Verse 5 tells us about those all things. The all things that are possible with God is that the Ninevites of all people actually believed. And again, I say to you, church, the miracle is not the fish. It's not the fish at all. The miracle is the work of God which changes the heart of stone to a heart of flesh and rebirths new life and repentance and belief in the heart of the sinner and turns them to the saint. That's a miracle. It's not a fish. Behold the power of the word of the Lord. This simple little sermon, repent, four days, 40 days, you'll be destroyed, causes an entire city to turn around. How much does it take to share your faith? Do you have to articulate every theological argument for the reasons and existence of God? Or can you just say, Jesus loves you, man, believe? <laughs> 40 days, that was enough. How simple, short, and sweet, and yet how powerful and effective the Word of God. The people of Nineveh believe God, verse 5 says, and they put on, called for a fast, put on sackcloth, and they listen to this, from the greatest to the least. Why? Well, Romans 3 tells us because there's really no distinction. You know, we in our culture, they in their culture, everybody makes distinctions. But there's no socioeconomic, racial, whatever distinction. When it comes to sin, you've all done it. And you all need to repent. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Where the king reaches, or word reached the king of Nineveh and he calls for repentance and comes back around and says, who knows? Maybe, just maybe, there is a God who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. Sailors cry out, God delivers them. Jonah cries out, God delivers them. Ninevites cry out, what happens when God saw what they did? How they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do and he did not know it. This is some God. He is very slow to judgment. He is slow in keeping his promise. He's not slow like we understand it, but he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone, even the Ninevites, even the Syrians, even the people of Grove Park, even the sportsmen, even the scientist, even the engineer, even the homosexual, even the prostitute, he wants all of them to come to repentance. Because when people repent, God relents. When people repent, God relents. Behold the goodness and greatness of God. Behold his justice and mercy. 
Behold the righteousness and severity. Judgment and grace both extended at the same time. Keep going this direction and you know what's going to happen. But if you change, who knows? Maybe, just maybe, God will forgive you. Even now, declares the Lord to Midland Free, return to me, Midland Free, with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. I want internal, not external. Return to the Lord your God, for he is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. My word to you today is this, is simply to cry out to God. And I don't know what your repentance looks like because it's going to look like it's going to be different for each of us from the greatest to the least. All of us need it. Even if you're saved, even if you repented once, you're not done. You get to repent over and over and over again. Not of things you did in the past, but thoughts you had this very day. The gospel is not just a one-time experience, but it's a continual reality that you walk in every single day of your life. Repent, believe, obey. Repent, believe, obey. Repent, believe, obey. Every day. For everything. God is good. And God is great. The sailors cried out. God delivered them. Jonah cried out. God delivered them. The Ninevites cry out. The Ninevites. God delivered them. Will you? Midland free. Will you? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But what does it say? It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. <gasps> For there's no distinction from the greatest to the least. None. Between Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, rich, poor, powerful, weak. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, everyone, anyone, who calls on God's name, will be saved. Father, we thank you so much for the word of the Lord to Jonah, for the word of the Lord to us. It's absolutely amazing and befuddling that you would accept our repentance, and yet even today we look at the body and blood in Christ and say, wow, why? Here you are sending your very own son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins for what? Not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, but because you are good. And so, Lord, we praise you, we love you, we worship you, and we pray that that genuine repentance and belief would result in good works and faith leading to eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.